in fact, weren't they six from the beginning? They're actually supposed to be six books, but they <laughs> condensed them to three. He wrote, he wrote them as one, but they were just supposed to be split into parts, and it was supposed to have just been released as one thing, and then they were like, no, it's too big, so we'll release it as, as free. And then he was happy enough with The Fellowship of the Ring as a title, and then with The Two Towers, he was like, I don't know what Two Towers to refer to, because there's yeah. Which is a fair point, and no one knows. Like in in the film, they were just like, "Well, but we'll just say it's these two. Like that's that's we'll just." Yeah. And then he didn't like Return of the King because he was like, "Well, it gives away a big plot point in the book." Well, it's, it's that kind of like the it's like the the first Harry Potter book. I mean, you you can tell exactly what's going to happen in each chapter by just reading mm. the chapter title and the little illustrations, because spoiler alert because we're already recording people who haven't read the first Harry Potter book. Um, the illustration in the American edition is that one dark arts guy unwrapping his headscarf. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> What's his name? No, um, Pro Professor Quirrell. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Troll in the dungeon. I just thought you ought to know. <laughs> That's what he is. We'd like to once again welcome you to our Easing the Reader podcast. Uh, we are rereading The Wheel of Time from book one, but we're on book two. There it is, The Great Hunt. It doesn't have a big ogre holding the horn of a leer, no. which is the edition that I have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they didn't do these ones. See, I have all the... Um... I have the, all the Orbit books versions, which are the UK ones that came out in... So I bought all these in around 2002 or three. Yeah. So this one came out in 2003. So this was the 2003 edition. And they all look like this, but with different colours. Um, so we didn't get the uh, the, the funky American <laughs> uh, covers, which are just... The, the, some of them are just from the realms of madness, as we've discussed before. Yeah. Um, so, but I kind of wish that I had them. Like, if, if I went into like a charity shop or something and I saw them all, mm. or if I went into a charity shop, if a shop ever opened again in Ireland, which may may or may not ever happen, we don't know. Um, but if say one did and one of them was a charity shop and they had all of the American Wheel of Time covers, I would just buy them all just so I had them, just so I could be like I have these these covers that I have no idea what's going on in most of them. I'm a big fan of the uh, Lord of Chaos one because it kind of looks like it's almost like a Mills and Boone kind of cover because like Rand is like stood in like really tight black pants with this like white flowing shirt that's caught in the wind and it's like you know it's looking all manly and stuff but it's funny because the set the leaked set fo photos from the TV show um, kind of paid homage to it and looked like him which was <laughs> So, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Anyway, that's that. Well, anyway, my name is Chris Mary Hoffman. With me, I have, as always, my co-host, David Green. We're going to talk about the following chapter, chapter 13 to 18 of The Great Hunt. I do think that The Great, the great Hunt is probably the, the cover that always appealed to me the most. Yeah, out of the American ones, I think it's the one that's kind of normal and not normal but kind of one that looks good and it and the characters kind of represent who they're supposed to be quite well 
Mm. Whereas like some of the other ones, it's like you, you, you're having to figure it out. Like, even though you might've read the scene that it correlates to, you kind of like, is this person in this scene? I don't think they are. I know it was a, but um, yeah, the, the great hunt one is good. But it's kind of like the Terry Pratchett pictures. I mean, or the Terry Pratchett covers, like the original ones by Josh Kirby, mm. because they make like no sense. Because I think it's like Josh Kirby read the book and then just like everything that happens in the book, he put on the cover. At least yeah. the first one. And it's so horrible because he ha- doesn't seem to have understood. And I didn't at first, but one of the characters, Two Flower, is um, described as having four eyes. Mm. And it's because the main character Rinswin does not know what glasses are yeah so he thinks so but on the cover he has four eyes <laughs> artistic uh what's it called artistic license yeah absolutely yeah there's some crazy ones like a, a, a really good uh kind of famous one what an author doesn't like so much is the dresden books because at yeah. no point is he described as wearing a hat <laughs> no i know he does but, wear a duster Wears a duster, but he doesn't wear um he doesn't wear a hat, and on the cover of every single book he wears a hat. He wears a cowboy hat. <laughs> like he, well, I mean, he, he looks like I mean I think that's supposed to be like, you know the it's supposed to pay tribute to the noir sensation of what you know the the an homage to to Jim Butcher's like well noir character because it's kind of yeah. like what he is. But I mean because I read the I read the comic books very early on when they came out. Interesting enough, the same company that put out the Wheel of Time comic books, mm-hmm. yeah, Dable Brothers, and then later Dynamite that bought Dable Brothers. But there, he doesn't actually have the hat. No, no, well, he's not supposed to. But that's the thing, though, isn't it? It's, um, I mean, I, I would, uh, I don't have Nick Colloran wearing a hat either, actually. But I wonder, but on the covers, he has a hat on them. But that's just that's a different story altogether, I suppose. A story. And, uh, for another time. Yes, and I think Grant Hinton's, who's a, a a mutual kind of, or actually, do you know Grant Hinton? I do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do. yeah well, so he's a mutual author friend, a Brit who lives in Australia of all crazy things. Um, his his character has a hat on on the cover as well, and I don't think he wears a hat. Yeah, what is it with? What is it with? Uh, what is it with artists loving putting hats on people? <laughs> They're really hard to draw. As someone who has got an art degree, like, you know, hats are not the easiest thing to draw, surprisingly enough. Um, maybe it's one of those things where it's like, I'm going to do this and show that I can do it. Yes. I'm thinking they may, they don't want to, like, there's never a discussion of what kind of haircut the person has. So yeah. it's just like, I'll just put a hat on. Yeah, maybe. Because that's the thing, like, when you um, when you write in the first person, you have to come up with like elaborate ways of describing the the character themselves. Um, like obviously Jim Butcher does that in some ways where he just keeps on going on about how like whenever um, Dresden's in a fist fight with someone, he talks about like how tall and scrawny he is. <laughs> but like I can hold my own even though I'm tall and scrawny and sometimes my hair falls. But um, yeah, so it's like you kind of have to just like, uh, and you don't want to fall into the trap of, the character looking at themselves in the mirror and describing themselves like oh. really like you know it's not it's not great writing we've yeah, all done- writing, writing tip number one don't have your character um uh, describe themselves uh, uh, 
We've all been there. We've all done it. We've all yeah, been yeah. yeah. this point. It's, it's uh, it's you should try and avoid it. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, I always find like it's it's a it's a, a modern thing though where describing the character has fallen out of favor a little bit because obviously, um, you go back to like Wheel of Time and everyone's described like you know that as soon as someone that comes into a scene that the, the narrator the third person narrator takes the time to describe them, and um, you know lots of books are like that, but these days it's not so much done like it'll be just be instead of going into it in like minute details it's like a a, a paint stroke of this person is tall and they have red hair you know <laughs> and that's pretty much it and they leave it and then somewhere they might just say uh, there was a look in his gray eyes so that'd be like how rand would be described these days but now obviously back then it was this is exactly what he looks like he also looks like these people from this place as well and it's you know and that's what the that's just the way and the dresden's a funny one because um because it kind of does the, the noir tropes and from the time it was starting to be written which was like early 2000s it has that kind of leftover especially the first couple of books where the pace slows right down whenever someone new walks in the room yeah. and we'll be going this woman has walked in and she has this coloured hair and this colour eyes and her skin is like this and her clothes are cut this way. And it's like, all right, just, you don't need to do this anymore. Because um, that's the thing, like, especially in, you expect it when it's a third person uh, point of view. Yeah. But not first person as much because it's, why is the person taking the time to... No, yeah, and, and we were we were talking about that, like, because, I mean, you have to think about what, what is the... what the believability rate of such a book because why would like i'm writing i'm working on one now which is very much noir and gritty and i'm just like why would my main character who's obviously it's he's speaking in the first person describe his partner mm-hmm. i mean they've known each other for their you know as long as they've been partners why would he describe what he looks like yeah because I mean, he knows what he looks like, and why would he describe himself? Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. So they don't, they don't do that. So I mean, there's no real. But I want to, I want to kind of have it as like, if you, if you know the genre, you kind of know what the characters look like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's ways around it, but you can always have like um, someone referring to him, like anyone ever say told you you look like Humphrey Bogart. Or something like that, you know, that kind of thing, and then that puts that picture in someone's head. Then and they're like, oh yeah, I get told it all the time, and you know, whatever, um, that kind of thing. You know, so yeah, there's ways around it, but um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to kind of think about how writing has changed, where it's not so much of a because you wouldn't maybe before the mid two thousands, you would never, especially in fantasy, you would never get characters that weren't described. But now, like no. if you if you read like Jarba Crombie's <clears throat> latest series, the uh, Time of Madness one, from starting with a little hatred, like it's it's bare minimum description of characters. Like it's basically like the, the characteristics of them and the characterizations are, are in great detail, but the actual physical descriptions is a uh, is low, which I think is actually a wise thing to do these days because when you get into the realms of headcanon and a lot of things getting picked up for tv and film yeah. it just 
whenever someone gets cast, it just causes so much aggro because people are like, this is not how they were described in the book. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if we don't describe them, then it's fine. Well, I mean, I think that's what made me surprised when in the Earthsea TV show, they were all black. Because mm. I, nev- I never thought of them as being black. But I mean, they, they live in, in, the, in a southern region where it's very sunny. So, I mean, I guess that, that makes sense. But I, yeah. never thought of, I never thought of that. The thing, the thing is, though, as well, it's, it's, because, it's because of the artwork done for a lot of these things. Mm. Right? So, like, if you take Wheel of Time, for example, everyone on the cover is white because that was when... Um, especially in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, that's that was the market audience was white men, yeah. white teenagers, white men. So it was like make them look like the people that are reading it. But so people get like that kind of thing in the in the head where it's like, well, that's what they look like. Um, even though the artwork didn't perfectly look like how this looks anyway. But even the wheel of time, there's confusion over it because. When you re- when you really kind of let's not even delve into it, like because there was a big there was big uh, controversy when the casting first came out that that Perrin was black and Egwene and Nanive were as well, because um, they were like, well, everyone from the two rivers is white. It's supposed to be England. It's supposed to be this, 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 and this. But there's bits in there's bits in the first book that I mean, Sen Sen Bui is described as being as dark as an old root. Right, so he's clearly not white, right? Someone would not describe me as being as dark as an old root. <laughs> They'd no. say as tasty as a milk bottle, probably. <laughs> like you know, um, and then there's there's a bit where where um, which probably isn't going to be in the TV show, but where Rand meets the Trakans and Alada, and she grabs his coat and pulls and looks at his arm and says, "No one in the, in that part of, in the Two Rivers has skin this fair." No. Right, and obviously Rand stands out because he's white and he's got red hair. So obviously, like you take that, and you think, well, they're not all white people in the two rivers because it's, it's there's two specific remarks where someone is saying this this skin his skin is too white. This person is like a dark root, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Um, so it's there. It's just that. It's a weird thing with Robert Jordan. Like he would describe people quite a lot, but he'd describe mannerisms, hair, eye color, height, build, but he would never really say this person is black, this person is white, this person is Asian, this person is this, this, this. It was something that he just didn't really go into, apart from the ale. (laughs) Yeah, he says he because he says in that interview that I heard at the end of the the audio book for for um, Eye of the World, that he wanted to write a, a series of books that was for everyone. That's why it's all kind of like based on such general mythology. There's like some Arthurian, which he never says it is, but obviously we know better, but he never like owns up to it. But he talks a lot about there's like Hinduism and there's Buddhism, and, you know, there's a lot. So I think maybe there's a way of him trying to do like, this is for every man. So you can, it's kind of like how Tintin, even though Tintin isn't black in any way, but Tintin is kind of like pale. I mean, there's, he has no characteristics. Mm-hmm. And Hergé wanted it to be so that everybody could identify 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's just the way. And the thing is with, with Robert Jordan as well, and with Wheel of Time specifically, like you know, it's it's not a spoiler. Say we've talked about it already on on this show, and and obviously it's called the Wheel of Time, and it's made clear at the start that we're on a wheel of time, that this is our future and past, and. Rafe, uh, who's the showrunner, talks about it, how he was like, we want it, the show to look like our world in a thousand years' time when all of, where there's been this big, massive, disruptive thing that's happened and all the different races were all displaced and mixed together. Mm. And he basically was saying that he wants the show to look like what America would look like in 200 years' time. Which is well, fair enough. Like, you know, fair enough. <laughs> that's fair what enough. the world. That's what the world looks like. And you know, um, why shouldn't a fantasy show look exactly like that as well? Is is my two cents. It's almost like the end. Of, that's like the PSA of uh, at the end of a GI Joe. Yeah. So or He Man or whatever. Uh, should we jump into the to the actual? Story. Let's, let's not. Well, no. first, let's first of all, before we do, a bit of TV news came out on um, on a what day? What day is it? What year are we in now? Is it twenty twenty one now? Is it? Yeah. I think it's the third twenty twenty one. So uh, yeah, so we got confirmation, if confirmation was needed, that Shadow Logoth is for sure in the TV show, and we got to see Matt's dagger, and it actually looked like it was taken from a trailer from an upcoming trailer as well as actual footage so how do you feel about that i do i mean i think <clears throat> i think shadow lord with need i mean i like that i don't know what to say about the dagger i mean obviously it's a big part of the whole thing and it's what kind of you know brings everything to a head at the end of the first book <clears throat> because they're following the dagger mm. so it would be a, it would be weird if they didn't have it there it would it'd be weird. I think it's a good, uh, I mean, I think you can do a lot of creepy stuff there. I think you can almost make it a little like, like, like a little maze labyrinth, even that you could stop there for a little while. And that's how like Rand, uh, Rand gets, you know, comes in contact with the dark one. Well, it seems like they're um, changing things a little bit from the footage because when the, um... Obviously, in the book, they kind of stumble into a room that's got loads of gold and everything yeah. and riches. And then when um, Mordef, as he is known, appears, they all grab a weapons and Matt just so happens to grab a dagger. But in, um, in the footage, it's like a bare room and it's just like a box. And Matt's, you see Matt's hands and he opens the box and pulls out this dagger. And you hear him say, all right, let's make a deal. So oh, okay. there, um, there is, looks like there's something, the changing things slightly to kind of make it more less like it's a bumbling into like, oh, let's just take these weapons and run or something. <laughs> it's very, very Dungeons and Dragon-esque though. Like yeah. Stumbling into a room full of gold and just grabbing whatever. Yeah, 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 it is, yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of those things as well. Like, it's you've mentioned it a few times. It's like, how naive do you want to make these boys at the start? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but if I was in the the ruins of some ancient, horrible looking city that I've been told by Nice to Die, bit of a bad place. This Trollocs <laughs> and Madral are scared of going in here, so don't touch anything. And then you went into a room that was full of gold. <laughs> 
you'd be like, hmm, this is slightly suspicious. <laughs> think I will just leave, I think is what I was going to do. I'm probably, I don't know if I'd go into a place like that. I know. So it'll be interesting to see like just what it is, what they're going to do. Um, but yeah, good. I'm glad that it's in it because like yeah. our logo is... Um, we we thought it had been we we hoped it would be and then there was some concept art recently where we were like fairly certain there it was Shadow logo but it's good to kind of get confirmation that it's definitely going to happen and with the with the dagger as well like there's still the question mark of whether of whether the horn is going to be in it like it might not be who knows even though it's called the Great Hunt um, but the dagger obviously has a great part of starting the the journey of the second book yeah um, oh yeah that's i mean that's obviously what they're it's the 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 fuel of the second book and that yeah. for, for for random for random matt and perrin in particular like they don't they don't really care about i mean this was like last week's stuff because we we finished our oh, last week's last two weeks ago we finished um as the as they were all heading out of Faldara, which is the first yeah. time to stay in a place for a long time and um you know they're, they're they, they want to get the horn back and all that kind of stuff but ingtar is the one that wants the horn rand wants to get away from the ice die but also help his friends yeah and his friends want perrin and matt want to well matt wants the the, the dagger perrin's just along for the ride really he's just hanging around he's just there he i think in and in this series of chapters that we're reading that we read now, I find that Perrin just gets kind of like more and more annoying. Yeah, I find it's like, man, why did they bring this guy? It's something they really need to address for the um, for the for the TV series for the second season because he has a he has an arc in the third book, and this is the thing: is if if they're going to make the second series the second and third book, which they may, they may well do because there's very very similar things that happen in both of them. Mm. Um, the thing is, he has no real arc in the second book. He's just along for the ride. So it's like if you do it in separate seasons, he's basically kind of wasted in this one. But then, so what do they do? Well, how how are they going to get about it? Because it's something that they really do need to do. Because he is one of the main characters, and um, he doesn't have a lot to do in the second book. Like the second, the second book is is Rand again. It's Rand's it's Rand's book, and it's yeah. and, and Egwene as well. It's Rand and Egwene's book. They're the the big kind of drives in this one, and Matt to an extent. Um, but even like not going into huge spoilers or anything, but even Moraine and Lan are not in this book all that much either. They're kind of sidelined in this one as well. It's very much Rand, um, the Forsaken, and Egwene. And the White Tower is the kind of focus in this book. Yeah, um, he, he's kind of like a Millhouse character in this one. <laughs> <laughs> a little Millhouse. Uh, but if we if we started off, uh, the one thing that we didn't talk about because I mean we we John mentioned it, the character he would cut out, which was Huron, mm-hmm. right? Which they in the in the um, book on the audiobook, very much pronounced like urine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that he's a, he's a sniffer. He is a sniffer, yeah. And that is just, I don't know, it's just a, an odd, an odd thing. It is, yeah. It's it's um it's it's a nice little wrinkle though I think um of 
um, of bringing in these kind of weird and wonderful talents that people have. So we have like Taveran and we have people that can wield power. But then in the first book with with um with um Perrin and his wolf brotherness and there's talk of all these old things awakening that people weren't able to do anymore. And this is one this is another one, someone who can smell violence. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite outrageous really, because you'd think he'd just be just all the time, like uh, he'd just be smelling it everywhere. But I mean, John's point was, and I'd seen him do a video on this before. There's there's another character that appears later on in the book um, that he thinks that he could combine them together. Mm. I think I think he was mentioning that. Yeah. yeah. Well, what happens is that they get, um, and, and the thing was because I I didn't I listened to this first and then I read it, so it. it I must have been doing something else. I just must have gotten like confused because what happens here in the first chapter from stone to stone is that they kind of get split up and um, they Rand and um, the ogre, ogre yeah. and, and urine, right? Yeah. So they pass through some stones and come to like another dimension. It's another dimension. Yes, uh, which I didn't. I didn't at first understand that they were in a different dimension because they kept talking about this weird place they were in, or and and um, so that it was interesting. I mean, I like the concept, parallel dimensions and everything like that is fine. Yeah, uh, and and Rand is obviously worried because he thinks that he thinks that they're kind of like in in like a waypoint. Yeah, he's afraid that they're in a waypoint. Because he's yeah. afraid of, of uh, that the, the Trollocs are going to come after him. And that's basically what happens like in the beginning. They kind of go through these stones and yeah. get separated. Yeah. So it's um so default this default is uh is having is having uh, Matt's being a bit of a dick. Yeah, <laughs> they, they're kind of they're they're kind of like a little they're they're little whiny bitches here. <laughs> Rand and Matt. They're not <laughs> they're not getting along all that well. This is the no, thing. This is the thing that I've I've been quite clear about about this a few times. Matt is my favourite Wheel of Time character, but I despise him in this book. Like every like I know what Robert Jordan was trying to do with him, but every single kind of decision that I think he makes with his character is just makes him unlikable mm. to the point where I think he actually realizes it himself and kind of does like a character reboot on him in the third book. And like I literally does a reboot on him. It's just like you know, and he's great, he's, and he's great, Matt Carfin from then. Because the first book is all right. Um, like the the first book is a better version of what he's trying to do in this book with him. Like it's more, you have more sympathy for him. In this one, you just it crosses the line too much for me. Um, because Rand like is is annoyed at Rand because of like Rand tried to chase them all off. And earlier in the book, because he's worried for them, and he's, he Rand knows what he is, and he knows this. And Rand comes clean about it. He tells them, yeah, he tells them about it, and his reasons are valid reasons. And like Perrin understands them, um, but Matt is just like won't let it go. And you got the whole thing as well with the clothes, where it's kind of like saying, "Oh, you're you're so my lord," and all this sort of stuff and everything. And um, 
And Rand is like, well, you know that Moraine changed all my clothes. You know that Moraine's holding that I have to be second in command. That's funny, this. Matt knows this sort of stuff, but he just won't let it go. And he's it's going uh... to get so pissed when... I mean, like, he's not pissed already because Rand gets all the ladies. Yeah, this and is true. He's going to show up with this other lady. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So he, fall, he falls asleep anyway on this on this weird stone. Um and um, they just wake up in this place that is like kind of the distance is not quite right. It's like kind of shifty and it's kind of like, I think they describe it as kind of like it's all washed out as well. It's not like yeah. real. So so you say it's a parallel universe. Is that the thing that you thought it was at first or what did you think it was? Well, at first I just didn't, under, at, first, at first I thought it was another dream that he was like dreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they kept saying that it was a weird place. And they're just like, did they stumble into a waypoint anyway? And I just missed it. And I just had to see where it was going. But yeah, no, a parallel dimension is basically what I thought. Because they kept saying strange place. And it was just yeah. like where everything just didn't seem like it was. It was seemed like it was like the mirror. Not a mirror, but kind of like a bad reflection of what reality was. So, yeah. So this one... There's there's a few that this book really kind of gets into the kind of metaphysics of what the wheel of time is and what we're saying. So this is like there's two well actually no there's three different um re or four different realities let's say okay there's the reality there's a a different thing that comes on later on in the book on this book in fact uh, which gets explored in quite big depth and it's something that we've already seen but we actually don't haven't had it explained to us what it is yet and then there's this thing it's the so there's a mirror world and then there's a parallel world and not quite the same okay right so this is kind of like something if something else had happened this is what the world would look like so there's multiple multiple okay is is it kind of is is it kind of like, I mean, and how much has that been detailed? Maybe we should ask Matt next time he comes on. But like, how influenced was Robert Jordan by, say, like Dungeons and Dragons? Because well, Dungeons and Dragons has that idea of like, there are multiple worlds or multiple, there's Forgotten Realms, there's Dragonlands, there's Boris, I think it's called, which is where they have like some kind of technology. It's kind of like a steampunky world. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Raven Loft, right? There's a bunch of weird things. Yeah, we can ask him next time as well. I do know that from watching episodes of Dusty Wheel where they talk about this concept, that at this stage when he was still writing it, he wasn't, um, it wasn't set in stone exactly what it was that this was yet. Mm. And he was still kind of developing it and it took a couple of more books before he kind of was like, yeah, this is it exactly. And that's why, like people say, well, there's two different types of mirror worlds because of inconsistencies. Um, but that's this is basically that anyway. So, yeah, the portal stone. So there's different things you can do with these portal stones, right? And they do pop up. They pop up quite a lot over the next few books, and then they kind of disappear. <laughs> so, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> they're they're still around, but like um, they they use them quite a lot for the next few books. Um, so this is the first one, and we, yeah, we wake up. We're a bit disorientated. Um, we do have a we do have a dream as well, a dream sequence within 
this world yes. well. and we meet a new character are you talking about say Celine Celine yeah yeah like her what's her deal she is and I'm thinking that she is she gives me all the 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 traits of being a um, what do you call it a deceiver a deceiver kind of like what Satan is to okay. to God <laughs> A, temp- now, a temptress. Yes. Now I'm gonna go. Now I'm gonna go break out my because because Jordan Jordan obviously knew his religion, so I'm gonna take take us on a little theological journey because I studied religion as well in in in, okay. in uni- at university, and I teach religion in school, which a lot of Americans find a really weird concept, but I do. Uh, you religion? Do you think that's weird that you teach religion? I'll just teach him religion in general. That they te- they, in, the, in the states they find it weird because you don't you're not allowed to teach religion in school. Oh really? Is that right? That's crazy. Like yeah, we we learn it in in England. Yeah, yeah. And, in, and in Sweden you do. So I mean, it gives me a chance to to teach it, which is I I love teaching religion. It's a great apart from literature, it's great fun. But I mean, a lot of people think that Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, and that that and Lucifer are all the same character, but they're not. No. They're different. Satan is actually uh, God's buddy. It's his. He sends Satan out to tempt people to see if they're loyal to him or not. Right. So that's what he does. So that's when he meets Jesus in the desert. He's just like, hey, you know what? Maybe not hang on a cross. Yeah, don't do what it. Do of, what do you think about that? That's not. I mean, that's not so cool. Be be a cool dude. Don't so he's always cool. doing. So Satan's always doing that, and that's how. God knows if they're loyal to him or not. So I feel like I got the same kind of deal with her. Because first she's like a girl in distress, but then she seems to know quite a bit more stuff than loyal does, which Rand finds odd. But since Rand only worries, his only worry is really whether um, Tam is his dad or not. Yeah. Most of the time, which he's still kind of harping on. He's still worried about it. He's still, he's still worried about it. He's, uh, even even though he knows the truth now that yeah. you know the Isodies can't lie, they can admit things. Um, but if they say something, then it's pretty much is this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she, uh, Moraine told him the whole story about about uh, Tam, yeah. what he did, how he found him. He told her about about the uh, the. Um, the fatelling on the yep. day that Rand was born. Um, so, like you know, it's it, he knows the truth now. He just won't accept it because I suppose, like being told that you're gonna destroy the world and then go mad and die <laughs> is not the kind of news that you want to hear. Really, <laughs> it takes a few minutes to sink in. But that's the funny thing because I think that's like in the in the fight between him and Matt. I think he says something like that. It's like you're at least not gonna get go mad. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you just have you just you just want you have some strange relationship to a dagger i'm gonna die i'm gonna go mad and people are gonna kill me and perrin just looks like he's just got wolf eyes and could talk to like, he's just like, I'm, gonna pre- I'm, I'm gonna pretend i'm a sniffer because apparently people don't like wolf brothers exactly yeah they're a bit they're a bit afraid of them because wolves have a really bad reputation everywhere and every little bit of writing wolves have the worst Reputation. I was watching something with my uh, with my son there 
and it was about wolves being nice and like loyal and protective of like the pack and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Explained to him how like they're in the dog family and that actually they're quite nice. And he was like, no, 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 they're 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 very bad. Wolves are very very bad. Well, they like, should be eating pigs and yeah, it's little, like little girls and red hoods. Well, I said to him, I said it was just one wolf that gave them all a bad name. It's the same wolf and all these things that just gave them a bad name. <laughs> No, I mean, there's a lot of fun things to unpack here. I mean, we, and we haven't even, because now we're actually talking about like the end of of Rand's arc in that parallel world or the yeah. strange dimension. Uh, but there's also the whole thing about, you know, his, his dream, his vision. And I find that the dark one is a lot more menacing in this one. Like the whole, like he's described as having like this dark kind of like mask, cloth mask over his face yeah where he can kind of like hint his his and there's some great visual stuff you could do with that you could really and then he'd remove just, do you want to see my face and Rand's like not really i'm not really into that part with your 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 bdsm mask and everything you keep that on you're all right mate just leave it on i don't want to see your hideous scarred face what i did to you in the last book so yeah. just Leave that out, please. Yeah, and then he and he does remove it because obviously he's the dark one and he doesn't listen. Yeah, that's right. And then he's just like got this like what is it like he's described as having like like this dark face with cuts and and you can see like fresh skin underneath. Yeah. So and then there's some that's that's some great stuff because otherwise like the dark one has kind of been I have found that he hasn't been as men i mean he's been menacing but he's only kind of like kind of how like sauron is in in the beginning it's just like almost like disembodied yeah it's kind of the first book is kind of scooby-doo villain-esque yeah his peeps popping up and he's like <laughs> so scary and that kind of stuff and you know there's some really effective bits in it i do love the dream bits but then like oh, yeah, um this one he feels like a lot more of a physical thing so let, let's chart it back anyway so First chapter in this bit, uh, they go missing. They go into the thing and they, they go like, I can, and Horin's like, I can smell a dark friend. We'll smell that way and then we'll find our way where we need to go. And then it goes back to Perrin and the boys. Yeah. And, um, and they're, short, they're short chapters here. Yeah, the short chapters. But this chapter is the one that I was telling you about last time, which caused massive discussions and conspiracy theories and uh, hate for until the Towers of Midnight, I think, when it gets resolved. So this is book two. Towers of, Mid Towers of Midnight is book 13. And there's something that happened in this chapter that was not resolved until 13. And that was um, Verin arriving at, with, uh, with the party. She chased after them all. She rocked up to Ingtar and, and Perrin, and she said that Moraine sent her. Ooh. Right? So yeah. that in mind, because that is something. So to book 13. Well, it's mentioned again in this book later on, and then it's not kind of resolved until <laughs> book 13 either way. Because remember, I said I cannot tell lies. Yeah. So if they say something, then it has to have been true. If they say it. so, if they say um, the Robert Jordan writing here is green, 
then it has to have been green. They can't say that this is orange, right? Because it's unless they're colorblind, I suppose. But um, anyway, if <laughs> they know it, so like, they can't say that, right? But they could just say, they could say, um, there isn't all green writing on this book, which is like around the truth. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. So if they say something definitive, like Moraine sent me, then, you know, Moraine must have sent her. All right, so bear, remember that. I will, I will remember that. I will remember that. So yeah, Verin, what do you think of Verin then anyway? Because she's been kind of popping up a little bit in this book so far and she's back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I mean, I didn't say that I didn't think, I didn't give it that much much thought that just, just as she returned. I mean, obviously, they, the characters themselves have some, something to say about that, but I was more interested in where the hell the sniffer part was going and the wolf brother. You just love it, don't you? You just love this sniffing business. You're just like, <laughs> what a love. What a great excuse. I wonder if, um, I wonder if, because like Hurin's like mentioned at the end of Eye of the World, I think. Is he mentioned at the end of the Eye of the World? No, I don't know. Is he? I can't remember that. But I wonder if like Robert Jordan just like invented him and was like, this is a great cover for Perrin for a bit. Like, <laughs> he can just pretend to be one of these guys. Um, I think it's, it's funny because, I mean, obviously they say, um, he's a, he's a sniffer. And I kept thinking of um, Lemony Snicket's uh, series of unfortunate events, where that's where one of the one of the kids calls the, the orphans cake sniffers. So that's <laughs> like an insult. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to say that to my wife all the time. I, she used to get really annoyed because she didn't know what it was about because she hadn't read them. And I used to be like, "It's such a cake sniffer." <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why. Don't know why. So yeah, so after the sniffing bit, we're back on to um, so we're back onto the one that you were just talking about. So yeah, this, this is, is where he's. So loyal makes himself a staff by singing at a tree. Yeah. Great, great. great. It's a big staff, and he just makes it grow by singing yeah. at it. It's, what a what a guy. And he uh, says, and I think they mentioned that because this is the second time he's Rand has seen him do it. So I'm guessing there's a lot of things that, like, if you haven't read book one, it really doesn't matter at this point because they circle back to book one quite a bit. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, Hurin says that, like, the thing that you can smell, it's kind of like a memory of it. It's not like a real thing. It's like this, like, which is interesting. It's like he can, he can, uh, so that kind of tells you that this is not a real kind of place. It's not a, like, a, you know, it's it's something that might have happened or could have happened, but it's not something that's like set in stone. And then Rand has the dream. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he tells him, definitely says that there are dark friends in the White Tower, which obviously comes back to the prologue. We know this yeah. for certain that there are dark friends in the White Tower. Um, and uh, Rand's sword gets so hot it burns the heron mark yeah he gets a scar fulfilling one of the prophecies of the carferon cycle very very uh, indiana jones yeah it is isn't it <laughs> and i mean it, it, i mean i think I, I i did i did love that part and there's a lot of like you know throwback he called he he um the dark one refuses to call him by his real name or he actually yeah. kind of calls him Lewis Theron, maybe his real name. It probably is his real name, isn't it? Like, what is his... If you're reborn, like, obviously, um, like, 
is loose ferret this is one of the things that i've never really kind of figured out definitively in my, in my own head i was gonna say my own head then my axe my actual accent was coming through then in my own head um I write like that sometimes. I always write me instead of my, and I have to go back and change it. Oh, I'll just do find and replace for me's because it's just easier just to do it because I just I just don't even see them sometimes. Um, so I, I I always wonder is Lucifer in the original dragon that's been spun out of the pattern so many times, or is he just the last one? And the one before that was like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um. Like, is it always, like, say in the uh, fourth age, a dragon comes back, is it going to be Randall 4? Is that what people will call him? Like, you know what I mean? Or would he be still loose faring again? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I got to ask you here, because I, we didn't touch on it last time, because there was so much to unpack, and we didn't even mention that easing the, the badger <laughs> yeah. mentioned in the first part. Uh, but... What what I was just asking is like so just to break it down to a standard fantasy trope, which is the battle between good and evil, right? Mm-hmm. That is like a standard fantasy trope. Is the dragon good, and is the dark one evil? Because obviously, I mean, there's something there. Moraine wants to protect Rand, where the other Aes Sedai obviously want to gentle him. People seem to be afraid of the dragon. Yeah, it's kind of a weird one because it's like I know that's something I was I was saying. This is what I was saying on the last one with with John. I was saying it when I was on a dusty wheel as well. I don't really get the red ajar that much because I get it when it's a false dragon and they want to kind of do it. Mm. It hasn't fulfilled any of the, the the prophecies and all that. But like Rand is fulfilling prophecies, so. Why would they want to gentle him? Because they know that the dragon has to fight the dark one. They want to control. So, so, so like Moraine and and um, Suan and and Verin at this point want to let him go to fulfill as many of the prophecies as they can, so he can say he is the dragon and we have him under control, right? And we, he's going to fight for the White Tower. But they're worried that some of the people are going to be like, we have to gentle him, and it's like. Well, that doesn't make any sense because he's the dragon, like, and you have to have the dragon to fight that one. But LCC question anyway. Um, I think at the start of the series, it starts off a lot more black and white, good versus evil. But as it develops, it becomes more. And this is something that the, the showrunner Rafe has said that he wants to adapt the TV show as the book series as a whole. Mm-hmm. It becomes more of um, chaos versus choice, free will and choice right um, and that starts to develop a lot more after book three until right through to the end of the series it's more of like free choice versus destiny chaos versus harmony and all this kind of stuff um and i think that's something that they're going to kind of bring in more into the tv show at the start because it's a bit more, um, it's a bit more of a developed idea. Because obviously, again, he started writing this in 1983, 1984. So by the time that he got to books four, five, and six, it was the mid 90s, and he'd been working for this for years. And he's obviously his own ideas. He kept on having ideas for other series when he was writing this as well. That he would like one of them was going to happen 
something was going to happen in the end of the eye of the world where Rand and some other people would be shipwrecked and they'd just wake up on this island full of dark friends, right? Yeah. Um, and then it was just Rand on his own. And then he just completely took it out and set it. And it was like, this is going to be a new series when I finish Wheel of Time called Infinity of Heaven. And this is how it's going to start. So it was just something that he wanted to do really, really badly. Like, and he never got to do it. But um, like, so he kept on having more and more of the ideas. And I'm sure as well, like when he was kind of, because this is when he was doing book two. So he was probably thinking, oh, I'll do five of these and then I'll do Infinity of Heaven. But as this was like getting more complex and longer, he was probably having these other ideas for other series that he wanted to explore and was like, right, realistically, I've got another 10 books of these to do, so I'm going to just put them into this series and develop it that way. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so we move on, and, and now we come to sitting, right? Well, there's a lot of this, like Kinslayer, and they're going to the mountains, and... We have the, we have the chapter with a great name, In the Mirror of Darkness, yeah. as well. Which is a great is a great um, chapter name, I think. It's very it's very Lovecraftian, actually. Very much so. It could be a, a Lovecraft. When we talk about that, I mean, it would be great to actually, if actually anybody actually knew how much Lovecraft uh, influenced Jordan. As I said, as I spoke before, it might be an un, it might be an untapped scholarly paper somebody could write. Yeah, 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 yeah. If yeah. there was only a literary scholar somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's just find one. Let's find someone to do it. There will be people that probably would know, like for sure. Like his um his his editing team and his and his like research team would would probably know, and his bodies and stuff. But maybe uh maybe next time maybe this year if Jordan Con is on, um it was cancelled last year we could get get the question in there ask someone. <laughs> well, I love this chapter actually because obviously we meet Celine, but. Um, the first thing we see is we co- they come across like where there's this monument that would have been for Arthur Harkwind and his victory yeah. and where it's like this big trollic thing instead which is just like it's so nightmarish and it reminds me a little bit of um, in the Return of the King book and in the I think it's in the deleted scenes the, uh, the extended edition of um, of the movies where Frodo and Sam are moving through Ithilien, and they see like the the um, the statue of the king, and it's and the and the flowers are going through, and it's it's all decapitated, and there's a big arc head on top of it, and like but then they find the crown on the floor, and there's like flowers growing through the through the hair, and Frodo was like a bit of a a, a mad episode for a second. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's it's like uh, it's like the um, Tim Burton's version of Planet of the Apes. Yeah, in the end, and it's it's uh, an, an ape instead of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, let's let's not talk about that film. <laughs> let's not let's not talk about it. <laughs> I do, I, I, but I I will put in uh, not that I am a particular fan of the film, but the the actual book it's based off of is actually excellent. Yeah, and more like the Tim Burton film as well than the '68 film is. The '68 film obviously changed the ending of the book. Quite yeah. Quite, and uh, the guy who wrote it was was uh, quite jealous about it. Apparently, there's <laughs> a better ending than my book. So he's French. He was French. He was French, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they they come across Celine who is fighting a Grom. And that's the thing. Here again, there was a, I got annoyed because it was like 
how many times can you put in the word grom in a chapter? Because it was like all the time. It's like, yeah, we get it. There was some kind of hideous monster there, but you don't have to use like it. It seems like Rand somehow is a little bit OCD mm -hmm. because he he has to repeat the same thing over and over again. He does. Yeah, Grom is a good word though, isn't it? Grom, I like it. It's a good word. Yeah. Um, so Celine knows about the void mm -hmm. and tells Rand that he needs to use the void all the time. Yeah. Um, and she's very keen to him to get the the horn of the Valir as well for glory. Yeah, yeah. She and this is where I'm thinking that she is a, a, a temptress, a seductive um, figure because she's she keeps pushing him uh, towards things that he is a little bit kind of like on the fence about doing. I mean, he wants to get the horn, but he's not going to get the horn because of of personal glory. He wants it so that talk about getting the horn and Celine's around, will you? Like, it's the, it's finger, find a different way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, he doesn't. He 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 doesn't want uh, Padam Painter to acquire it. <laughs> to acquire the object. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but Celine is very keen on it. She is, yes. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, it's one of those weird chapters again, where like it basically stops when they see these Grom attacking them, and um, so it goes straight into the next chapter. And Celine saying we have to kill them all, um, or go somewhere else. So, like, she wants Rand to go and use the portal stone, but Rand is like, no, I'm gonna fight him. I'm gonna use my bloody Bow, what they were very adept. He is, yeah. They were, they were teasing him about it at the beginning of the book, saying he's going to go and club some rabbits, but instead he uh, he kills some grom. He kills all five of them. Yes, he shoots them right in the center eye. Yeah, using the void, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and then more, and then more appear, and then uh, Brand's like, "Fine, we'll use the portal," and and Celine seems to know which one to pick she's yeah, like maybe try this one i'm thinking she's a plant she's a, a plant. plant from who i think it's the dark one he's like if i can't go in this world and kill these grom i'm gonna send someone to help you do it <laughs> when you come back i don't know uh, i mean i think i mean i think she i think she's a, a plant Okay. She's she's way too not that she's way too good looking because obviously he's like talking I mean, Ren really has a thing for her. Mm. And even Loyal is kind of like he's like, damn. And he and Horinus as well. Yes, Horinus. well the sniffer. Yeah. Yeah, they're all they all like her. So they, they get through anyway and they end up in Kinslayer's dagger. Uh and she's like, Yeah, we're ahead of everyone because we can move at different times and distances. Yeah. And it's like, how does she know all these things? I actually wrote on my notes. Celine wants to stay to see if they can get the horn. <laughs> Why? Why did I write that? <laughs> uh, and uh, like, she's she's very good at twisting Rand around because like he's very impressed when like she says that he's brave, and he's like, Egwene would never say that I was brave. <laughs> I know he is. He he is so moody. <laughs> he is so moody that yeah. guy. And then, speaking of Egwene, 
we uh, we go and check in to see what they're up to. Yes, we have another uh, narrative, uh, well, a, a shift in in point of view, and they're taking they're going on the boat. Nynaeve not too happy with the boat. No, Nynaeve doesn't like doesn't like it. She's uh, this is her like um, she's not she's a, she doesn't like sea travel one bit. No. Which I suppose is fair enough because like she's from the two rivers. And even though like it's called two rivers and there is rivers in it, they don't really do a lot of water boating. It's kind of a landlocked place, and you know she's never been on a boat before. But Egwene is um, worried that Rand is in trouble because she keeps having dreams about yeah. Rand and, and, and a mask. Yes, a masked man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we find out that the Amrilin comes in and just pisses Nanive off. The city, I know. Which is great. I, well, I, I, I just got to interject here because I really enjoyed the fact that, like, I think it was to say that Egwene has been trying to bring Nynaeve food. Yeah. Because she, she, but, because she needs to eat, but she's, like, tired of getting shit thrown at her. Yeah. She just keeps, like, she's very ornery, too. She's also, <laughs> Nynaeve is not happy, not a happy camper at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a uh, it's 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 good fun. It's a good it's a fun little chapter because I know like uh, it's funny. The last block that we read, we end after like quite um, an exciting, fast paced, intriguing start. We you the the last the last one was like uh, an eyes to die chapter of a Gwen and the Eve where it was kind of just like wheel spinning and re- and re going yeah. old ground from the last one. Mm. Well, then on this one, he does it again, but does it in a different way and makes it more fun because it's about the characters. Because, like, it's Suan's like a, gr- a great character. She's brilliant. Like, and she's just, she's just gets under people's skin and, like, um, she's almost like, um, she's almost like an older version of Nanive. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I sometimes wonder if, like, uh, I know there was, like, a different plan for Nanive, but I'm still at this point as well where, um, she was going to be more like the Nemue character to Moraine's um, Morgana if, in the Arthurian kind of way, which is in his notes and everything. But I often wonder if she was going to, if he had thoughts of her becoming like at this stage, he was like, okay, she's going to be an Amrilin, and he knew that at this stage already. Not to say that happens or doesn't happen, but I wonder if that was like at this stage, he was like, I want people to see the parallels between these two characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's a great bit because, yeah, the ambulance seat, she pisses Nynaeve off and then she wants to show her, it put her in her place. Yeah. Show her power. But then Nynaeve shows her power. Mm. And they just kind of like get yeah, into a they, magic battle. They do, yeah. She pins her up against the wall, doesn't she, or something? Yeah. So Maybe. the ambulance seat is just like, uh, should we just let each other go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we talk about it, don't we? In, the, in the, one of the previous chapters, where Moraine and and Swan kind of catch up, and uh, she's like, "Oh, it's all politics," and the the Reds are, are, are trying to get um, Elaine Trakan to be one of them, and it'll be a great status boost because she's so strong. And Moraine's like, "Well, actually, I have two girls here that are stronger than than her, like, and one of them is the strongest that's lived for years." So. What are you gonna do about it? Already, <laughs> <laughs> like that, how strong the Neve is if she can overcome a block. Which the also it goes into more kind of it, it under, underlines that in this chapter where they meet Sherian. 
who is like um you know the head of the novices and she's like uh well you're not gonna be a novice you're gonna get tested for accepted level straight away because like you're too strong was this scene, do you think that, because we were talking about Nynaeve and Moraine, early plans that they were going to fight with each other and stuff like that, do you think that this was, was uh, a scene that was supposed to be between Nynaeve and Moraine? No, I think um, I think still at this point he was still on, it wasn't that they were going to like kind of fight, it was more, um, so from his early notes and when he was still kind of working on this book and the next one, he was going to position them to be um on the same side but wanting different things for some of the characters which would bring them to loggerheads and they would have like a confrontation where obviously in the Arthurian legend the Mew um defeats Morgana doesn't she and she she like you know uh, locks her in a cave I think it is isn't it locks her away in a cave or underground or something um and I think that was what he was kind of working towards in a way that that was kind of going to happen and then something basically changed his mind around book three i think um but i think this was more just kind of showing like so this was more just showing you how powerful that she actually is how she could be and i do think as well that he was looking at kind of looking at the the um similarities between the characters of suan and, and the neve as well the other thing that's interesting in this chapter is the dream aspect as well like so Egwene, it's not just like a funny feeling that she's having um it's told to us quite clearly that she she is these dreams that she's having are happening mm. like we know that they're happening and that is something that um, becomes a bigger thing in the rest of the books as well, because obviously again, like with with um, with Perrin's wolfiness and her in sniffiness, there's all this old powerful things that are coming back into the world that had been done away with forever. Even the strength of the characters, because um, we're introduced to, well, we're not even met uh, Elaine again yet. In, in this one, we've only met her briefly in the first book, but we've 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 been told about three different Aes Sedai now that are more powerful than anyone that they are, that the White Tower has had for thousands of years, mm. and you know we can see then like the the wheel, the pattern is gearing up for something because it's like it's spinning out these it's spinning out these powerful Aes Sedai, it's spun it's spun out three to Veren. The dragon reborn it's got min from the first book who can has all these like she can see the pattern above people's heads we've got some man who can sniff violence <laughs> you know <laughs> i can't, can't take you serious when you say i can sniff I wonder what it smells like probably like uh, sweat and male despair i think it smells like old spice <laughs> you think so very very old spice yeah but it's like like sweat and despair, doesn't it? So yeah, I was like, you were gonna say axe, axe. It smells of axes. No, the 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 uh, links. I think you call it. Oh yeah, the yeah body yeah. spray. Yeah. yeah, well, there's so many different varieties of that one. They call that axe in Sweden, do you? Yeah, yeah, axe. Axe. 
I suppose it's just as good a name as Lynx, really. <laughs> really? What does Lynx? I mean, Axe. I can, I can. I mean, I can relate to that manliness. Axe, you know. Link. I mean, I know what Lynx is, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a weird one. I've never, I've never really thought about it too much. To be honest with you, but now, now that I am thinking about it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, that might be a good thing to do for the next time we have a guest on. Is when we do the quick fire round, what, <laughs> what, um, no, what, uh, what deal, what body spray does the various characters use? Yeah. I'm thinking that that uh, Ingtar he has uh, he, he wouldn't use links Africa. He, he wouldn't <laughs> use any. He would use. He would just get dirt up off the ground, mixed in blood, and just smear it on himself so he could smell of death. And, and murder, because that's what he loves. Trollic uh, blood. Trollic blood, draw blood. Just any blood that he can get his hands on, that's what he <laughs> wants. Um, but yeah, so was, um, that was all the, the six chats. It's a quite a, quite a rand-heavy section. Yes. And he is he is there. But, you know, the pacing is different because it does, unlike the eye of the world where it was just exclusively rand, Yeah, we, we are jumping around a little bit. And... Um, you know, new concepts almost in every chapter. Yeah, and and I like that. I like um, I like it. I mean, it was a it was a slow move. The 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 read was slower for me than it was when I was reading through the twelve chapters because it just felt like ha- things were happening all the time. It was a faster pace, but on the other hand, this was more. I mean, there's these are more compact because there's more stuff to unpack. The more mm-hmm. solid chapters in that in that sense. Yeah, and there's a lot more that we can, you know, you can build upon later. It sets the stage very nicely. No, uh, no cocky land for us this time. We we got our land cockiness in the last, the last. <laughs> we had sniffers instead. Yeah, I wish I wish land was a sniffer. <laughs> he's, be... he's a cake sniffer. He's a cake sniffer. Land, <laughs> uh, great hunt. Beginning of great hunt land is my favorite land. I just I know we, we didn't really talk about it last time because we had so much to talk about, but I just love how he's just like popping up everywhere. Just, <laughs> just just popping up, telling Rand all this like do this and do this and do this and just like having a big laugh to himself. And then like there's a bit then after like he's been to the Amberlin seat and like Maneve comes past him and he's just like sat in some window just watching with a, a big laugh, having a big laugh to himself about something. It's like very just, he's very like Steve McQueen. James yeah. Dean kind of character, isn't he? Yeah, he kind of um, like the first book is very is very much Aragon. The first book yeah. with a with a death wish, more of a death wish than Aragon had. But he's just too damn good at fighting that he can't die. Mm. Um, so he's very much like, and he even has the same kind of backstory as him, like he's a king in exile, and like you know he's uh, has a you know all this kind of stuff. Um, but in this book. Especially at the start, because again, he's, he's not really in this book quite a lot, but he gets a lot more, like, you know, the, the relationship. And I hope that's something that they really kind of bring out more in the TV show. The relationship with him and Rand really works for him as a character because you're able to kind of relate to him. Because up until that point, you just see him as like, he has a little bit of a thing for the Neve, which again, I, I hope is expanded upon. But you see him really as basically Aragorn, who is protecting Moraine. That's his character. Whereas in this one, he's doing things that Moraine doesn't approve of. 
and it's like it's his own choice to do things and it's like uh <laughs> I, just, I love that bit where like he, he goes in to get Rand and summons him and says like the Amrillion wants to see you and then he just starts going through his wardrobes and picking out clothes for him and stuff and he's like let me see your boots yep yeah, no, they're fine and he's like <laughs> I was thinking like he's very he was very much in the first book very much like Cohen the Barbarian from Terry Pratchett's series just yeah. like an old Barbarian who can't die he's like so tired I was just like I just want to die yeah, but I yeah. can't help it I just have to de-virginize women and and kill stuff well instead of de-virginize women lan just wants to protect he's very chaste very chaste isn't he, he comes with nothing. he does they say he's very he is just very aragorn isn't he in the yeah. first but like he's still he's also very chaste he is yeah he's very i mean lord of the rings is very chaste though isn't it's it very chaste um you'd almost think that the the author was some kind of um english oxford professor you would almost think that Catholic yeah. at that too. Almost, you'd think he was very good friends with Lewis Carroll. Who? Uh, Lewis, you mean? Lewis, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, Lewis. Lewis Carroll. Lewis Carroll actually. Uh, he he. Um, his writing workshop place was like about ten miles from my house. Oh yeah. You go and visit it and stuff. Uh, where he wrote some stuff. Yeah, C.S. Lewis. They were in a writers' club, weren't they? Um, yeah, the Inklings. Yeah, and Christopher Lee met them one time as well. <laughs> uh, did you did you read did you read about it? It's Christopher Lee's autobiography is brilliant. No, I haven't read it. I suppose like I mean he wrote that when he was like in his mid eighties, so he had he had some life. Like I mean he he was in the Navy SEALs and everything as well, or the SAS, sorry, because um, the Navy SEALs the American one. But like you know he had some life. But like, yeah, he was like he was because he was a big Lord of the Rings fan from when yeah, he. Yeah, that I know. And he just was happened to be in the pub that they drank in and was like completely fanboying over it. <laughs> I know. I, I, I saw a documentary about him probably like 20, 30 years ago where they interviewed him, a long series of interviews. And he was, because he played Fu Manchu yeah. in the Sex Romer books. And he would, he was, uh, he would take the, the trolley dressed in the Fu Manchu outfit. And there's, there's this guy came up to him is just like, speaking mandarin he's just like no i don't i don't understand what you're saying <laughs> no. but he's just like but you're dressed it's like yeah no that's i'm 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 an actor yeah. what's your name what's your last name lee well so you <laughs> yeah. Like... yeah 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 well it's one of those things that you couldn't do it these days like it's that's just uh that's you know it's just not it's not done not done anymore but no, uh... i think i think every because i have a couple of like sax romer audiobooks and i think they all have disclaimers yeah in the beginning because it's so it's so racist it'll be interesting because um tomorrow i don't know if to do it's probably in sweden as well um they're adding all of the fox stuff to disney plus under like this adults thing called stars yeah. or something yeah. I think. and i wonder like if there's going to put any, because like there's some stuff they're not, they're just refusing to put onto Disney Plus, like uh, Song of the uh, Song yeah. of the South. Um, but there is other stuff they've put disclaimers on. I wonder if like uh, if what Fox stuff they're going to do that with, because obviously if they've got the whole back catalogue, there's going to be a few things in there. They they did it on the Muppet Show. Yeah. 
I, I read that yesterday. They put the disclaimer on the Muppet Show, and especially because Johnny Cash is like singing in front of a Confederate flag in one of the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> not, not the best, but but okay. uh, like God, it's on. It's not even that long ago. But anyway, yeah. hopefully we won't have to do any of this kind of stuff in the wheel of time. <laughs> <laughs> not well, coming to Disney Plus. It's coming to Amazon Prime. Yes. Yes, I've been wondering if they're going to pick it up anywhere else because I mean Amazon Prime. Not, I mean a lot of people in the world don't have Amazon Prime. I mean mm. a lot of Swedes. I mean we do have it here, but I mean obviously you have to have Amazon Prime to get it. Yeah, a lot of Swedes don't buy stuff from Amazon. And they don't have Amazon Prime, so I was wondering if they're going to put it on because here in, in Sweden we have HBO something called HBO Nordic. And yeah. you probably have like an HBO Max no, or something we, like that. We, we, don't, we don't have HBO Max. Yeah, yeah. It's coming, I think, later on this year. Yeah. We don't because have they have, HBO Nordic has like, they have like Outlander, uh, Walking Dead, uh, like all the AMC stuff, like Hell on Wheels and yeah. Turn. And a lot of people in Sweden think that they're HBO shows, but they're right. not because they're all just unique. Yeah. So, they're, all, uh, they're all Sky Atlantic over here. They have the rights for it all, um, for all the HBO stuff. So I don't know if that's, but they are looking to launch um, their own the HBO thing over. But like Amazon Prime is a bit of a weird one because we obviously before Brexit, because obviously I'm in, in Ireland, we would use Deco.uk. Yeah, uh, in Ireland, and we'd get the same perks from the Prime stuff. It'd be free delivery and all this kind of stuff. But it's all gone absolutely mad now, and like the the Prime thing for us unless it's something that they have in one of the distribution centers in Ireland, it just doesn't matter if it's something we have to get in from England or mainland Europe. Mm. We just can't get it at the moment for most of the stuff we have to get from America, which prime stuff doesn't work. So um, obviously when you have a prime account, it includes everything, um, including the TV. But to be fair, like, you know, it's, um, I do think Amazon prime is really good quality. Actually that the actual the service like the boys is really good. Yeah, the boys, and and I think it was the one that Jordan Peele did, the one about the Nazi hunters. Uh, the hunters, hunters. Yeah, was just the hunters. <laughs> and obviously, I I, I did enjoy um, Man in the High Castle. Man in the High Castle, even if it's completely different from from the book. The book is actually super weird. Yeah, and like uh, my my wife says, the Jack Ryan TV show is really good as well. Um, the Terror, the, the Dan ter- Simmons one. Yeah. You should see if you haven't yeah, watched it. Yeah, I've seen it. It's really good. Um, they had Seinfeld on it, and I was, I was getting, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to rewatch all of Seinfeld, and I was getting well back into it. Yeah, and it went off. It's gone. They show it on TV here every day. Two episodes yeah. a day <laughs> of Seinfeld. I wanted to watch it all in order, but now, yeah. geez, so, but yeah, so I think, um, I think the thing is with Amazon Prime is though, is that they're, Amazon have got so much money, they're going to make, they're going to make it successful because. There's people that, like, you know, we're not going to get 14 seasons of, of The Wheel of Time. Because no. It's, it's not feasible. Not even, Like, even if it was, like, Game of Thrones level or Mandalorian level popular, you're still not going to get 14 seasons because the guy who the cast has Rand is 21 or 22 or something like that, right? <laughs> he was, he, when they cast him, that was three years ago, right? Because of COVID, everything, it's all been... Uh, delayed 
So if they did 14 seasons, he's going to be in his mid-30s by the time it's finished. These books <laughs> take place over two or three years. And you could, you could easily get someone, you know, late 20s and make them look early 20s, like our mid-20s or something. But when if he's in his 36 or 37, it's going to be a lot harder. And then you've got people, you know, you've got people like, uh, like Daniel Henney who plays Lan. He's 41 or something now. He's not going to be playing Lan when he's 55. <laughs> start, start losing his hair. Rand starts like going bald. Exactly. So like 14 years is just like, it's not for this kind of thing as well. Like it's not a soap opera. It's extensive. It's big, big budget. So, you know, you're probably looking at like six or seven seasons max. If it's successful, maybe eight, um, which they can condense it down to. But like, you know, they've put enough money into it where they're going to, they're going to make it successful and they're going to give it two or three years to become successful because like they did that man in the high castle wasn't like cheap it wasn't expensive it wasn't cheap but it wasn't popular at start because no one had amazon prime like but they, they kept going with it for five seasons um and uh, you know they're, they're gonna that's and then obviously they, they put <clears throat> lots of money in the wheel of time they put even more money into the lord of the rings tv show that they're doing because they had to buy the rights for it as well which was like astronomical um so they're gonna make they're gonna make the service a success, and they're gonna get people to watch it. So um, no, it's exciting. Hopefully, we're getting closer to a, a trailer now that we saw a little bit of footage um, there during the week as well. Good, good, yeah. We're ho- we're here hoping. I, mean, I think the boys was successful right away. Yeah, but, but that was because also the boys had a big big following before. Yeah. That. It's um, came at the right time as well. It, it came yeah. out at the right time, and it was. Um, you know, it was a exciting cast of well liked people in it. That like you know, Carl uh, Carl Urban's well liked, and you know, you had other people that were like up and coming actors that that were in other things that people liked as well. Yeah. Um, One thing I didn't that didn't care for with the boys is that they didn't cast Simon Pegg as the character that was based on Simon Pegg. He's too old. <laughs> yeah, still, you can make him look young. No, Simon. That's the thing. Simon Pegg is beyond that point where they can make him look young now. And the thing is, he's supposed to be Scottish. I mean, Huey is supposed to be Scottish, and he's not in the show. Yeah, but I'm glad about that because Simon Pegg's Scottish accent is awful. Yeah, well, that that that's just maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's uh, we can uh, wrap it up here. Otherwise, we we could be chatting all day, and people will be going to be wondering what the hell's going on. Yeah. Um. Next time we'll talk about six more chapters. Some mm-hmm. exciting things come on the horizon. I hope there is. We don't have that much news personally right now. Nothing we can talk about. No, nothing we can talk about at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's follow it. On, follow us on on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, yeah, Facebook it out, tweet it out, tell your friends on YouTube as well because this one. Yes. You'll be seeing us with this one. Maybe this might be the first one. Maybe it's the second. Oh, I'll, it'll be the second one. I'll send you. I keep forgetting to send you the the uh, the other stuff. We'll have to figure out how to do that. If I want to send it per email or drive link or whatever, because you have to. It's quite a big file. Yeah. yeah. Your inktar. So. Is that your inktar impression? My entire impression. I don't, I, I wouldn't like to do one. To be honest, I'm, I'm not. I'm not as uh, bloodthirsty as Ingtar. No. no. 
I don't like killing as much as he does. I don't think I like anything as much as he likes killing. <laughs> no, probably not. If, if you could only look at at your child as like like Ingtar looks at killing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would, it's just that little bit more. <laughs> it's just, just a little bit. Just that little bit more. Just, 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 just not capable of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, thank you very much for for tuning in listening to us ramble until what the next turn of the wheel which is in two weeks, in two weeks. yeah